0: And this is actually an advantage. You're seeing how your peer group is doing and that should make you want to do better. And a lot of times there are leaderboards and you are able to see how other markets are doing.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill: Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And today, I think John Austinton, who is who is our guest today? Is going to make you think a little bit outside the box, maybe. John is a top number, top one percent of franchise consult nationally, and he leads a company called. Franbridge Consulting as the CEO. He draws on his experience as a former Inc. 500 franchise president and multi-brand franchisee in serving his clients. He's the author of non-food franchising because I know a lot of people when they think franchise, what springs to mind is McDonald's. We're not going to talk about McDonald's today. Um, He is a a frequent contributor on franchising for publications such as Forbes, The Franchise Journal, and others. And I'm very excited, John, that you're with us today. Thanks for joining.
0: Absolutely. No, thanks for having me, Christine. I love the show and excited about our conversation.
1: Excellent. Me too. So John, I think, first of all, let's start kind of at the beginning when you, were you always like, oh, okay. You know, I, I, I want to be a franchise, e franchisor, or like I said, were you someone who also sort of thinks like a franchise? Okay. That means I got to buy a KFC or a McDonald's or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, without a doubt. No, franchising wasn't on my radar. And if it, it, it was ever mentioned, I associate it with fast food, like so many out there do. So I uh, know we'll delve more into it, but I've kind of carved out this niche that I've dubbed non-food franchising. And uh, what I found is there are about 95% of people out there that are interested in purchasing a franchise who want something outside of food. So why not play to the majority, which is also my background. But no, for me, you know, starting out, you know, did the corporate track like so many you know, work to climb the ladder, and uh, it had a good run we really enjoyed it but you know I, I think like so many we have that inner entrepreneur that you know we at some point scratched that itch and for me i didn't jump full on instead i kind of said sidestepped into what i'm doing now and i went from the public company world to the private company world about six years ago and for me that private company was shelf genie franchise system which is custom pullout shelvings for, for your kitchens and pantries and uh had the opportunity to go in there and support our franchise owners across North America day in, day out. And it really opened up my eyes to this world of non-food franchising, you know, that there are other paths to business ownership that you know, may not be right for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's a better path. And um, long story short, ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie. We've spun off, we've invested in franchises now on the franchisee side ourselves, as well as with other partners. And, you know, for the most part, we've been able to put good people in place to run those businesses for us and uh, allows me to do what I do now, which is the consulting and brokerage side.
1: So this is interesting because I think a lot of people, when they're imagining themselves as an entrepreneur, they have a very romantic sort of product, right? That they're selling some kind of a, I don't know, maybe a save the world kind of thing or whatever. And like when you say shelf genie, I mean, it's, it's cool, right? It's a very helpful product, but it's not that romantic, right? Do you, did you have any, um, like initial resistance to it? Did you have already a vision in your mind of what it meant to be a, a, once you got over the McDonald's aspect of it, like, oh, franchisee, I'm going to be selling. I don't even know, like just something really like, I don't, maybe that's a girl thing, like a flowery thing, (laughs) beautiful, or, you know, (laughs) you
0: know, the the term I use, you probably have a better term, but, you know, I I refer to industries as sexy or non-sexy, and it is interesting to see how those evolve over time, and, you know, I I do think the pulse in the market right now is what I've called, you know, an attraction to non-sexy, you know, people enjoy those understandable businesses that, you know, may be deemed an essential service, they, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, COVID resistant, Amazon resistant, they're not going to get disrupted. In some cases, recession resistant. Um, You know, it's things like roll off dumpsters or ServPro. I mean, models like that, that, man, you you can really cash flow them, but they're not in any way romanticized. Now, I do think there are a lot of industries where we are seeing disruption within franchising, um, you know, whether it be, I just mentioned the waste removal space, I mean, we have some patented technologies with some of our you know, franchise owners we represent. And so a lot of times you are bringing a disruption, a white collar approach to a blue collar industry. Mm-hmm. But no, we're still working with what I would deem you know, kind of neat businesses too, whether it be IV drips or you know, fitness is driven by technology for those 50 and above that don't like the big box gym. And so, now I can just give different examples or case studies, you know, as we go through here. But um, you know, there are a lot of industries that I'd say where the pull is right now is really understandable businesses that cash flow, they're somewhat risk averse. In um, a lot of cases, don't require a lease. You know, some people are opposed to having a lease and signing that agreement, putting a personal guarantee on the line, and they like the idea of being able to work remote. Um, so a lot of businesses lend itself to
1: that as well. So are you seeing, you know, what you just brought up made me think. A lot of, are you seeing a lot of change? Because there are there are companies that are now franchises that were traditionally just mom and pop sort of things. You never thought about. I, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss right now to just come up off the top of my head with a business. But you know, a lot of things where you just never thought of it as being a, a franchise, and then suddenly you go into the next town, and you're like, oh, they have one of these too. Is that more of a newer phenomenon or was they just not aware of it before?
0: I think a lot of times people aren't aware. You know, I I was talking with someone yesterday and, you know, he he said, I never knew that was a franchise or that, you know, it's Meineke, it's Midas, you know, in the automotive space or it's, you know, obviously uh, most hotels are franchises, you know, we don't do a lot with hotels, but um, no, a lot of the businesses, whether it be home and property services, whether it be, um, you know, health and wellness and fitness. A lot of franchises catering to other categories like kids or pets, education, um, you know, the aging population. Those are all, wherever you see those macro factors, I always say that people will spend on their homes, on their health, on their kids and their pets. So any businesses that touch those got a pretty good shot. You know, of course, there's competitive landscape, but um, no, we're we're seeing a lot of interest across the board, but I think more and more so in the services space, um, you know, where you can ramp up and kind of scale as you go.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's the advantage. So, so today, how do you help people to get started with this? With you know, if somebody decides, okay, yeah, this sounds like a cool thing. How do you kind of steer them in the right direction and consult yeah. with them? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, you know, first off, I'd say our service is entirely free. Um, so happy to jump on a call with you know any of your listeners if you like this maybe path they want to explore. Um, it, it's a great model. We, you know, we never get compensated by our clients, and uh, you know, we get paid by the franchisors on the back end. It's almost like an executive searcher. In, in your case, you would really relate to the fact it's like a real estate brokerage. You know, yep. when a deal gets done, mm-hmm. we, we get paid, and that's by the franchisor. For them, it's a sales and marketing expense. It doesn't get passed on to our clients in, in any form or fashion. Uh, so I will always like to get that out of the way uh, up front, But no, you know, it, it depends on where someone is in the process and in the journey. You now, I'd say as a first step, happy to share some resources. I would encourage them to sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pack it with some great content every month. Um, but then if there is genuine interest, let's jump on a 10 or 15 minute call. Just have an intro call. Let me get to know you a little bit better, ask some questions. And then what we'll do is I, typically about a week later, I'll bring you opportunities that are available in your market that match what we discussed that could be a good fit for you, whether you're looking to jump in full-time or part-time, but opportunities I also see resonating with others all around the country with backgrounds similar to yours. And so um, it's fun for me, Christine, because I'd say 80 to 90% of my clients end up in opportunities that they never saw themselves in. So Mm -hmm. after we review seven or eight opportunities together, they said, wow, I never really quite thought of that. Let me Mm -hmm. dig a little bit deeper and we get them plugged in with the franchisors uh, for some conversations. And I mean, I could just like I just had a Wall Street attorney buy a gutter business last week, uh, you know, up outside of Boston, right outside of your neck of the woods. Um, it, you know, no industry experience. And franchisors like that. They like people that are good with people that, you know, maybe you've managed a team before, or you know, you've got some sales background, or you can understand the PL, just some of those blocking and tackling industry transferable skills. But they'd almost rather you not have a background in the industry that you're, you know, you're yeah. coming into. You know, they can rethink
1: not, it, right? Exactly. Not
0: bring that baggage. Yeah. Bring a yeah. different point of view. So definitely. Uh, so it really opens up the the array of opportunities.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, you know, I, what I think would be a great skill is like customer service. If you really just want the customer to have a great experience, no matter what that is, I was thinking. You know, when there's so many times I'm on a website, I'm like. These people just do not care about the customer experience. And that makes an opportunity, right? For someone like, you know, if you think about the taxi cab space, right? All of a sudden there's Uber because they rethought. They're like, you know, I get these crappy, grumpy taxis and these filthy, you know, machines. I want a way to rate people. I want to be able to feel safer. I want to, you know what I mean? And somebody just like rethought it all. And now it's this huge industry and we don't, you know, because somebody questioned, isn't there a better way to serve the customer here, right? And that's right. The, yeah. So John, what are we, what are you looking at? Like when you chat with somebody and they, they think you, you come up with a match or whatever, I mean, what kind of capital are they having to bring to the table in order to get involved in a, in a, even just a part-time type of franchise opportunity?
0: Yeah. You know, I'd say on the lower end, our deal size, you know, we, we have some opportunities out there that we place clients in this past year, they're, they're as low as $70,000. Then we have some that obviously, you know, scale up a good bit north of that, but probably 80% of our deals fall between $100,000 and So that's kind of a good ballpark. Um, and that could be a wide array of different industries. You know, obviously there are a lot of different factors that go into it. But, but when I talk about investment, what I'm talking about is, you know, every franchise system has what's called an FDD, a franchise disclosure document. It's got 23 different items. One of the items in there talks about the financial returns you can expect as a result. You know, what ha- what's the average of other franchise owners in the system? One of them is the item seven, and that's where it talks about your all-in investment, and it's always given as a range. It would include your franchise fee, if it's a retail location, any build-out cost, if it's a service-based business, maybe equipment or vehicles. Um, and then they usually include startup cost in three months of working capital. So what are your marketing costs, personnel costs? And so all that's built in to really give you a you know, good view coming into the business. And so that's what I, what I quote uh, with those numbers. Now, Christine, there, as you probably know, there are different ways to fund the franchise. You know, some are funding it out of pocket. Others are using SBA loans. Those are very, very common. Either an SBA Express loan, usually for 150 or below, or an SBA 7A loan, which are usually north of 200. And they're geared to different types of businesses as well. I have some clients that are using retirement funds where they're self-directing their IRA or 401k. Uh, there's a program called the ROBS plan that allows them to essentially tap into their retirement to purchase the business with, uh, with their retirement funds. Um, there's also another option for those that have built up their brokerage accounts to be able to borrow against their brokerage accounts. It's something I personally do because of where interest rates are right now. It's a no-brainer, but uh, where you're able to, uh, you know, borrow and leverage at a very low rate. And then others use a HELOC, uh, you know, Home Equity Line and Credit. So there are a lot of ways to fund it. And then some bring in investors. I, I'm raising money right now for a client in Seattle that's buying a painting business. It's got some neat attributes about it. Um, another client, uh, you know, I mentioned the dumpster business. He's, he's done great, just bought it back in the fall. And now he's looking to expand and he's raising some significant capital uh, behind that one. So, you know, it comes in all forms and, and sizes. And, you know, some of the things I ask my clients, you know, let's talk about your background. Let's understand, you know, are you looking to go full-time or what we call semi-absentee? I'd say about half of my clients are looking to make the jump from the corporate world and, and go into what we call owner operator, running a full-time. Others say, Hey, I'd much rather be semi-absentee or semi-passive or this executive model which a lot of businesses lend themselves to where you put a general manager in place and you're a little more a little less hands-off you know you keep the day job running on the side so you know that's a key component some people are open-minded others like the idea of a retail-based business some like you know service-based non-retail um, you know we talked about the financial piece we talk about large teams small teams b2b b2c just a number of different things we talked through examples Uh, to really kind of cut down and and peel back the onion
1: yeah excellent so what are some of the advantages like let's say that I've always had a dream to create a specific type of let's say I always wanted to have my own dumpster business what are the advantages to me of going into an existing franchise versus you know maybe like because and, and getting into it on my own and just whatever however you go about I guess I'm showing my ignorance about the dumpster business, but you go about starting. <laughs> yeah. that might not have been the best example. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question with any
0: industry or business, you know, and I'll start out by saying franchising is not right for everyone. You know, I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization. I get a lot of people approaching me from that group, but they're extremely entrepreneurial. And some of them have to say, hey, you know, you're too entrepreneurial. You couldn't stay within the lines. In turn, some of them say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I would much rather buy into something that's a proven system and I'll follow the directions. Um, so I'd say, you know, from an advantage standpoint, um, you know, you're, you're getting a playbook. You know, you're, you're, there's a product market fit already established. On day one, you're working towards profitability, not trying to figure out can this be profitable? Um, you know. Secondly, you've got a coach on the sidelines and that franchisor, you know, the better you do, the better they do. Any good franchisor, you're gonna have very aligned interest uh, and that partnership's important. We vet it very carefully uh, ahead of time. Um, third, you've got other franchisees in other markets that, you know, there's this shared knowledge, you know, they're testing marketing vehicles. You're figuring out the best place to find good labor. You know, you're trading those notes with each other, best practices. Um, also people oftentimes overlook the fact, you know, when, when you own a business or a franchise, you know, you're building cash flow. You're also building an asset. That's going to have exit potential. You're also able to write off expenses that you couldn't as a W2 employee. So it's kind of a trifecta as I call it. Um, but upon that exit, this is really interesting there was a study done recently. They looked at 2000 businesses across a wide variety of industries that had exits over a 10 year period, half were franchised half non-franchised, they compared apples to apples industry-wise, and they found that franchise businesses trade at an exit multiple one and a half times non-franchised. And so that resale value to the potential buyer, you know, there's the value in that franchise um, system. So you know, I'd say those are just a couple of the reasons um, you know, that come to mind. But um, again, not right for everyone, but I'd say for the majority of people, it is a better path to business ownership.
1: So, if you're someone who does not take instruction well, right <laughs> if you have trouble playing with others, maybe you're not really just cut out because that's what it is right there. I mean, I've not ever really explored this. So they're giving you quite a bit of guidance, right? I mean, th- this is how you I know a little bit about like McDonald's, like this is how thin you have to cut the tomatoes type of thing, right? that that's very, very specific are all uh, companies are all franchises that, detailed, oriented about how you're going to run the business?
0: Yeah, you know, every franchisor, I mean, they're, they're a business person. They've built a business. They've decided to scale through franchising. You know, it's, it's their baby. But, you know, getting to know that franchisor up front and understanding what are the guardrails, you know, and, and I'll start by saying, when I was at Shelf Genie, and I looked across our sea of franchise owners in North America. Our top performers inevitably were those that followed the system to a T. And that sounds cliche, but it is so true. And, um, you know, that's what you're doing. You're buying into a franchise system because it's a proven model. Um, Now, most good franchisors will allow you to test things, you know, hey, let's go test that. Yeah, let's add some innovation. If it works for you, introduce it to the whole system. So, you know, those are the ones you want to partner with that aren't too rigid um, yeah. you know, they make recommendations, but maybe they let you do the marketing at the local level organically yourself, you know, and they'll provide you with the assets They'll arm you, you know, you're in business for yourself, not by yourself, but they should be there supporting you versus uh, you know, telling you exactly what to do is my opinion.
1: So how similar is being a franchisee to being an employee, essentially like a regional manager type of thing? Are you, are you reporting out for your numbers and things like that? Are there any sort of... Uh, things like sales targets and and that sort of thing?
0: You you know, not sales targets. I mean, there's definitely, and this is actually an advantage. You're seeing how your peer group is doing and that should make you want to do better. And a lot of times there are leaderboards and you're able to see how other markets are doing. So you can kind of tap into those competitive juices and uh, kind of know, hey, am I doing well? oh, that's great. Or, or no, I need, let me figure out where I can improve upon and how do I catch up? So I think it's a very healthy competition in most franchise systems. Um, but no, it's, it's definitely, you'll hear people say you're buying a job. Well, again, you're building an asset, you're building your own empire that you'll potentially be able to sell. Nothing's easy. It's hard work. You know, I make sure my clients know that if they think a semi-absentee opportunity is going to be 15 hours A week early on, it's probably going to be twenty. You know, it's you've got to find the right people early on, put them in place, and until you find the right people, you're going to be involved in the business. Um, But there is that potential there, and you know, again, there are guardrails, but it shouldn't be too rigid. You want that freedom of business ownership. That's why you're doing this. You know, that's why you're not taking another job. And some people say, "Well, isn't that risky?" Of course, franchising de risk it considerably when you look at the numbers versus startup, but. I'd say working for someone else is pretty risky too.
1: Yeah. I mean, this, this <laughs> idea of risk, you know, it's, w- what's not risky, right? I mean, my my cousin, I'd like to use her as an example because she's the unhappiest employee I've ever met. She works for the IRS. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say Ooh. that. She works for a large government organization <laughs> and she is so incredibly unhappy. And I said to her, why don't you just do something else? You know, like what i, mean, she, I see her, I'm seeing her getting less and less healthy, less mm-hmm. and less happy. You know what? She looks older than I am. And she's probably 12, 15 years younger. And I'm saying, why don't you do find something that fires you up? She says, oh, I only have 10 more years till retirement. I'm like 10 years, you know how long 10 years, that could be your last 10 years, it could be the last eight years on, you know, on the earth. Why do you want to waste it being so miserable? So to me, like risky is getting up every day and hating your life, you know,
0: what
1: I mean? yeah. hating your world, hating your, you know,
0: I am there but, with you. And I, and I think COVID's caused a lot of people to wake up to that. Not yeah, everybody, yeah. but a lot of people, hence the great resignation. And exactly. some people are jumping jobs. Some people are, yeah. you know, taking the time out, but and we've never been so busy. Our deals this year, year to doubled last year and doubled the previous year, even during COVID. I mean, COVID caused a lot of upheaval and a yeah. lot of people to question the path they're on.
1: Which is a good thing, I think. That's always a good thing. As so,
0: Americans, we should feel very good. The entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. I see it firsthand all yeah. day, every day with my clients. Yeah.
1: So John, let me ask you, you are talking a little bit about the absentee person who's maybe going to spend 15 or 20 hours there. And what, what popped into my mind, and maybe this is just also a, a, a self-starter mode that I'm just not able to break out of, but I, I would think in order to really know that you're hiring the right person, you would want to be able to do the job. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way when I hire contractors, cause I do a lot of, you know, DIY kind of things. And if I don't know what the job is, if I have no idea what's involved in it, then, you know, they could tell me it's going to take 40 hours and maybe it's only going to take four. You know what I mean? I I feel like I have to, if not have done the job, I have to really know a lot about it. But does the franchise kind of cut that away so that you already uh, can know who the right person is for that
0: It it definitely shortcuts it. You know, you'll go through the franchise or training. I mean, you'll know more than enough to be dangerous. Um, Of course, the ideal situation is that you get out there, you run some of these sales appointments or you you know, manage the location, you know, the more hands-on, certainly the better, and you're going to hire better, you're going to manage better. So no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, you know, here's the different approaches I see. I see clients who want to keep a day job, get something going on the side that yeah. they can eventually build up and step into. I see others say, hey, I want to get something going, I'll do it full-time, but then I want to be able to step away and put someone in place. You yeah. know, I mean, that's an ideal situation, yeah. but literally I have clients falling on both sides of that spectrum. And you know, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, there's so much cash on the sidelines right now with the stock market up here, interest rates are low, only so many good real estate deals. We're we're, you know, people, it's a first world problem, but this these are conversations we're having. People are saying, where do we invest? Right. And they're starting to wake up this alternative asset of small business ownership or franchising.
1: It's a great, it's a great opportunity. Now, John. I'm thinking about the people who are just saying, oh, I'm going to dabble in it. I'm going to just do this part-time until I can afford to step away from my job. Yeah. Do you think if they did it full-time that they wouldn't need their job? Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm saying, is there like a, a, a difference order of magnitude wise, if you are doing it yourself full-time versus if you're just going to say, oh, I'm going to dabble. I mean, there's firstly the, the expense of the manager. And, and then are there other sort of costs associated with that? I mean, I know this is more of a philosophical question. You probably, you don't have to answer it because well, you do no. alienate half your people.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I, and of course, everyone's situation is differently. I and mean, yeah. you know, whether they're getting medical benefits you know, through work or whether their spouse yeah. is working, I mean, everyone's situation is so different. Yeah. Um, you know, ideally the more time they're able to invest, the better. And I make sure that my clients know there's no thing as a true passive opportunity unless we structure it very uniquely and someone else truly is that operating partner. Um, but I mean, we're at a point like I've got a driveway business. We don't even have to market it because there's so much demand in the market. They just find our website. They see our truck driving around town. I mean, it's, it's been beautiful. Mm -hmm. I literally jump on a call for an hour a week with our general manager. And now we were very fortunate to find that general manager. Um, I've got a client of mine who's the largest franchisee of two men in a truck, operates in 10 markets, you know, it's a moving service, $30 -hmm. million business. Well, he and I did a couple of deals together last year where, in each case, he bought another franchise and uh, you know, he's got his hands full, he's busy, but he bought a franchise oftentimes in a different city and yeah. put a young GM over that business But it was someone that he sourced through his church or through the community that he knew and trusted.
1: Yeah. And
0: he actually gave them some equity. And in each case, he's come back and bought additional locations within the first year. I mean, he's just had great success and I'm starting to use him to coach my clients. He's yeah. not cheap, but I fund a couple of calls <laughs> with him Get my clients set up well, so they know where to find a GM, how to incentivize and align the interest, um, really set them up for success.
1: That's, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody earlier that is reminding me of this conversation because that person isn't an abundance kind of a mindset, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, I want you to love the business as much as I am. So I'm going to give you a piece of it as opposed to saying, oh, you know, I need to hang on to all this and I need to just pay, find somebody that I can pay as little as possible Right, it's a, it's a very different philosophy, a very different mindset going into it.
0: I, I love that. It, my my business partner um, a couple of years ago said, "I'd rather give away a smaller, a larger piece. I'd rather have a smaller piece of a bigger nut than a larger piece of a smaller nut." You yeah. know, again, creating those incentives to to go build it. So,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What what's one thing that surprised you when you first got into this this field, this franchising field?
0: the psychology around all of it is just so unique because here you've got these business owners, and it's true of any small business owner, but you know, there, there's some inherent fear there because yes, they're a business, they're spending money on behalf of the business, but still coming out of their own pockets. It's this weird business to consumer type model. Um, but you know, it's mindset. Are they willing to invest in marketing? Are they willing to invest in an employee before the revenue is there to justify the employee? And so I love kind of seeing the thinking and talking with my clients and, One of the things I love about franchising is how eyes wide open you go into the decision. You know, we have a process aligned where, you know, there's multiple steps with the franchisor. I'm holding my client's hand through the process, but they get to talk to other franchise owners within the system. They get to hear about their experience. You get that, those data points, you get the item 19 and the whole FDD where you get a whole readout on the business. You get some good face time with the franchisor. You get to spend time with them at their location, you know, at corporate, meet the teams. You really get to so much more information versus just a pro forma on the back of the napkin, like a lot of startups. Um, So I love that. I mean, if franchising is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission, the goal is that people are eyes wide open and make the right decision for them.
1: Yeah, that's that's a huge advantage compared to like saying, okay, I wanna open my own pizza joint. You know what I mean? Like where you're literally going into everything with just a leap of faith. It's sort of like a halfway point between jumping off the bridge and <laughs> just staying in your car, right? Some kind of a halfway point. What's 100%. your first, when people first contact you, what kind of things do they typically, I mean, are there is there any similarity between the kind of conversations that you have with people when they are very first imagining doing this? 100%. How do they find you, first of all?
0: 100%. Well, you can come out to our website for Cambridge Consulting, but no, I, I get out there again, non-food franchising. It, it resonates, but people don't know to look for it sometimes. And so, yeah. um, you know, you know, the, the, we've been very fortunate that all of our clients, you know, tend to seek us out through referrals or they've heard us speak somewhere. Um, and, and so we haven't had any trouble finding people that are interested in business ownership. It's really just helping them understand is this the right fit for them or not. Um, I have to mention this, and this is just an example. We launched a partnership today. We work with a couple hundred franchise brands. Uh, we launched a partnership with a fence company t- and today. These are the most amazing returns on investment I've ever seen. And this isn't indicative of all models, but let me just share with you. They have 40 franchise owners. We're getting ready to expand them across North America in a bigger way. Across those 40 owners, average first-year revenue, $1.8 million. Wow. Average second-year revenue, $2.8 and in the third year, quite a few franchise owners are doing a good bit north of that. And this is an investment you can get in for two hundred thousand or maybe even the tick below. And you know they've got national partnerships with Home Depot and others. It's just it is a across forty different owners that is their average, and they're dropping a good bit of that to the bottom line. And so there is the potential to go big. Um, some people do try to hang on to the day job. I mean, I've got multiple clients that try to hang on to the day job, and they said. I'm never going to maximize the business unless I jump exactly. in, let's go. and. Yeah. But it's an evolution. And everyone's yeah. situation is so different. Um, but it's fun because we just had a PhD buy into a, you know, at the University of Arkansas, buy into a fitness uh, franchise. You know, we had a Silicon Valley executive out in California buy a property management franchise. Actually, we had a, a on the commercial side, we had a, on the residential side, we had a real estate brokerage, um, owner here in Atlanta, uh, buying into a property management franchise recently. So sometimes you see businesses that complement what they're currently doing. Oftentimes yeah. they're totally different industries than what they've ever been in. It almost gives them a second, second career. And they really enjoyed mm-hmm. kind of that boost of energy and learning something new. And, exactly. um, you know, so it's, it's fun. I, I love what I get to do and playing matchmaker.
1: John, how do you find the franchise is like the franchise and the people who, maybe have a company that they are ready to ramp up and they wanna start offering franchise opportunities for people, do they come to you as well?
0: They do, they do. And so from, you know, again, totally pro bono. I, I love having those conversations, help them out. We don't personally take companies through the franchising process, but I've got a couple of great resources that do, that mm-hmm. I introduce them to, um, but I share with them. I, you know, and we do see, gosh, so many companies we, we just had a chiropractic clinic Friday signed to franchise their business you know, a lot of businesses across a lot of industries are considering franchising as a way to scale because you're using other people's money. You always want employees to act as owners. Now you have people with skin in the game that know their local market and private equity loves franchising. If you Google acquisitions, franchises, so many acquisitions taking place right now because private equity loves the whole franchise model. So, you know, we do see a lot of companies franchising probably more than at any time in the past. And, um, so no, always more than happy to talk with the, anyone's considering, and I'll tell you the good, the bad, and, and, you know, I've been a franchisor, there's a lot of positives, but you'll also wake up one day and realize you've got kids across the country that um, you have expectations of you and you got to keep the kids playing nice. So it, it will change your day to day. And, you know, there's some best practices around how you set yourself up for success.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Interesting. So John, when you are Do you, is there a sort of, are there ever people who come to you and you just know that they're going to be great or that they're not going to be that great? I mean, is there a personality style? Is there any sort of similarity between people who, you know, are going to succeed in this business?
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I look back again, just because it, when I was at Shelf Cheney, I had the perspective of looking at a lot of different owners. I saw who was at the top and who was the middle of the pack and who were lagging a little behind. And again, it's people that could follow the system. It's also people that enjoy working with people. I mean, if you're, you know, if you've never hired anyone in your life, if you've never had to make a tough call, you know, when needed, um, you know, I'd say some of our franchise owners would hang on to people for too long. and They didn't have the guts or the courage to to fire them because maybe that person now knows more about the business than they do um so you know those were some of the things um but you know christine and and this is the fun part people surprise me all the time you know i catch myself saying oh that you know you know we had a a client purchase a a business yesterday did three territories here in atlanta uh, on a business i don't think he was going to move forward then I have other clients where it's a done deal. They've been through discovery day multiple times already this year. And then it's like, wow, you know, I, I think people get cold feet sometimes. They, you, some will climb the you know, ladder up to the diving board. Some will jump off and then some just kind of look down and s- start finding excuses and reasons not to. And um, yeah, and there's never a good time to, to buy a business. You know, what I find is you know, my clients, I tell them, hey, if you're also looking at other jobs while we're looking at franchises you'll end up getting several job offers. It just happens. You know, it, it bodes well. I think, hey, I'm a big believer that activity breeds activity. And when you start moving in a direction, other opportunities present themselves.
1: Um, sure. Yeah, so. definitely. Definitely. So it sounds like it's easy compared to other industries, perhaps, that you want to break into that it's a little easier to find the money if, if this is something that private equity is kind of enamored of.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I'd say private equity is largely at the franchisor level. They're buying franchisors, um, the brand. Um, sometimes they will, I mean, we saw with Orange Theory, we've seen it with Pods, other franchises where they'll come in and scoop up a large number of franchisees and provide them with that exit. Um, so, you know, I'd say on the funding side, more so around that. But then, you know, half of my clients use SBA loans, you know, very common. So if you're taking an SBA loan out for $125,000, you're probably putting in 25, 30,000, you know, and then you're t- taking the loan, which you can pay back early, but you no, know, banks do prefer franchises, you know, versus non-franchises just because it's much more predictable. Um, so we work with some great franchise fi- friendly lenders, you know, that know our brands and, you know, provide loans with, to our clients on a regular basis.
1: Is what you're doing somewhat unique being kind of a franchise broker, if you will, or is that some, the job that I just never knew about?
0: Yeah, no, there are quite a few folks that do it. You know, I, I've been fortunate. Again, I mean, we've, we we do a lot of deals, a lot of placements. Um, we, we're associated with the largest brokerage here in the U.S., and so that does provide us access to all the different development groups around the country. And, and we've really gone deep in getting to know these franchisors. And you know, having been a former franchisor, you can kind of, uh, you know, relate. Um, but no, it's, you know, it's those relationships. And, you know, for our clients, we're looking – we vet franchises we're looking at the leadership team that is so important and if they have industry experience and they're newer we want them to also bring in some franchise experience you know uh, to, to round it out uh you know it's the profit model it's the niche they operate in competitive landscape the market that we're looking to place our client in so um yeah there are a lot of different factors that go into it but it all starts with the right people people at the top
1: yeah so, John, what are some of the more unique franchise opportunities that people might not have th- thought of or heard of or <laughs> considered?
0: Wow. You know, there's, in my mind, immediately goes to one, and I feel like we've talked a lot about kind of a dumpster space. So let me give one example there, and then I'll give you another industry. But there's a truck with a big old crane arm on the back, and it goes up to a roll-off dumpster, rolls back and forth for five or six minutes, smashes down the waist to one quarter of the original size you end up saving three out of four trips to the landfill. I mean, it's a beautiful business model, a few employees, um, great profit margins. Uh, So that would be one that you would never think of. Um, You know, I I just had a client buy into a business coaching franchise, started by Brian Tracy and some others, and they arm you. You know, if you wanna be a business coach, they give you all the assessments and the curriculum and all the tools you'll need, so you don't have to recreate the wheel. So a client of mine is an engineer up in Indianapolis, bought into that one. you know, had a client recently. You know, more than half of my clients are in the real estate space. You know, whether that's their main career or they're just real estate investing. Uh, yeah. We just had a client that bought into a renovation business where he's got a team of three D design um, designers behind him now at the home office, and he goes in. He's kind of on the sales and marketing side, and then he sources it with the vendors. and I mean, he's killing it up there in Charlotte. Really young guy. Um, I mentioned property management, home services are definitely. I, I, there hasn't been any hotter area last two years, you know, people have gravitated there and, you know, whether it be gutters, whether it be pool cleaning, what, you know, recurring revenue type services like that. Um, You know, I mentioned the fencing. I mean, there's just a lot of niches. Insulation, $52 billion B2C, B2B industry. We helped one brand grow from five locations to 250 locations in eight months. We saw Harvard MBAs buy into a insulation business and the numbers <laughs> were great and that's what attracted <laughs> people to it so you know it's it's businesses like that where if you put your business owner hat on and you say hey there's a white space here from you know it's a fraction fractional industry we can go in and you know with the brand and with the technology you know we'll answer the phones when people call you know it's just sometimes it's blocking a it tackling
1: yeah yeah interesting John, this has been really cool. I mean, our time is just like evaporating, but what um, what kinds of things did I fail to touch on, like things that are important or interesting that you want to share that I didn't really, you know, wasn't educated enough to, to ask?
0: <laughs> Gosh, I, I mean, Christina, I you, you would never know that you didn't have a background <laughs> in franchising. You know, those were great questions. I, I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, I, I would just say that you know, I, I, think if you're considering business ownership, if you're considering alternative investments, you know, there are just a lot of different models. I mean, there's 4,000 franchise brands in the U S roughly half of those are non-food, non-lodging and there's, they're incredibly popular, but again, they're not top of mind for a lot of people until they start digging it. And then they're, then everything is a franchise that they see, but yeah. um, and no, it's uh, it's a great process. The biggest thing that we're up against right now is it's very competitive in markets. I'm always positioning my clients against other candidates that want the same brand and the same market. So there's always this urgency to it. So you know, I, I would definitely encourage people to, to move fast. We're always trying to get on the franchise's radar as fast as we can. And we cannot, you can drop out at any point, but it's a good idea to at least get your place in line. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's a dynamic we're up against right now. Great resignations yeah, leading to I didn't, a lot. I
1: never thought about that aspect of it, but right, it's, it's very location specific. You can't have 10 people in the same franchise in the same area, so. Right. Interesting. Huh. Cool. So John, if people are, I mean, I think you've definitely piqued some people's interest here. How should they reach out to you? How should they get in touch with you?
0: i'd say as a first step you know come out to our website freeandbridgeconsulting.com you know uh, sign up for our newsletter we we pack some great content every month that might be a way to just kind of dip your toe in the water happy to share some resources with you to kind of keep uh, keep the conversation going like i said more than happy to jump on a call as well so sign up for our newsletter i'll ping you see if uh, there's interest in jumping on a call um and then connect with me on linkedin or facebook you know linkedin is definitely our largest platform but uh we post out there daily and share what I believe to be some pretty good content.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that sounds great. And I'll, of course, put all those links into the show notes. So if you're driving or something, don't worry. You know, don't have to get in an accident. We're going to have all that available to you. Um, anything else in parting, John, that, I, that uh, you'd like to share?
0: I think that's it. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And uh, if I can be of use or help to anyone, more than happy to.
1: Yeah, you've been fantastic, John. I mean, this is this is kind of a fun, eye-opening conversation. I really appreciate you being here.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I'm happy to come back anytime, and uh, thanks again for having me.
1: Thank you. So, and thank you, listener, for listening. I'm really—I know you have a choice of about two million podcasts, so I'm very grateful that you're here, sharing time with John and I today. I know that he's opened your eyes, and I bet if you think about it, you can think of somebody else who would at least like to have a conversation with John, or you know, maybe just get the newsletter and just kind of like you know, t- try it out a little, play around a little and see what's, what it's all about. Uh, so share this episode with them and, and I'll allow John to open their eyes as well. And uh, have a wonderful week. We'll see you here next week.